Good morning. Can I also say Happy New Year? It's only been a couple hours. Anybody tired of hearing Happy New Year already? Come on, where's our cynics? It's all right. Nice to see so many of you. Must not have a lot of midnight uh, New Year's Evers. I gave up at 10.15. I was done. And when I had to at least show my face in a happy disposition this morning to you all, so I knew what my limits were. So those of you that were able to do both and still be here, good on you. That's amazing. I don't know how you do it. Well, the great thing about a new year is it's a, it's a mental flip of a calendar as much as it is a physical one. And we use the, um, the indicator of January 1st to kind of make all the other stuff of 2022 go away. And it has. We don't, nobody remembers what you did last year. Uh, nobody remembers what you ate, even just yesterday, at your parties or anything like that. As soon as the calendar flips, it all goes away, magically. I wish, right? It's not really the way it is, but it gives us you know, a sense of renewal and an opportunity to do something different, to experience something different. And to anticipate something uh, different as well. And though I'm not necessarily, I'm not for or against New Year's resolutions. Some years I I hone in and I develop some and I try to stick to some. I I can never really shake them entirely. Um, But then other times I'm just like, you know what? I kind of know what I need to work on. I'm not going to really spell it out or something like that. So I wouldn't presume upon you to tell you what your New Year's resolutions would be, except... The fact that the things that I think that we should be focused on are the things that would apply to us on January 1st as much as they would June 1st or September 1st. And that is a renewal that the Lord brings to us to to bring us to a place of a greater worship and a greater understanding, a greater knowledge and a greater service of him. And so um, my hope and prayer for you as an individual, but also for us collectively as a church moving forward, is, is a few different things. And I'll just spell them out to you briefly, and then we'll get into our time together and what we're going to talk about this morning. But I would really encourage you to consider anticipating the grace of God to a greater degree than you've ever anticipated it before. And and the reason why I say that is because if you're like me, you can be two people trapped in the same body. And that is one person says, everything I've done is so shameful and wicked. There's no way God could accept me or forgive me or even want to see my face again. Like I get to that place where I'm like, there's no way, or I can't uh, keep abusing his grace. There's no way if I come and just say, hey, I'm sorry, and I blew it, and I thank you for the cross, and thank you for covering my sins, that he'll keep saying, I forgive you. I mean, at some point, that's got to tap out, right? That's often what goes on in my mind. And then there's other times this same person can come to the Lord in a sense of, of demanding that God show me that grace. Hey, I'm just a person. What, what, what do you expect from me? I can't be perfect all the time. I I can be the same person wrapped up in the same, uh, two different people wrapped up in the same body. That person that can't believe that God would show me his grace. And then that person who can't believe he wouldn't. And so because of that, I need to step into a greater anticipation of who the Lord really is. The scriptures tell us that morning by morning, he greets us with new mercies, that he comes to us anticipating and expecting to cover our sins, to cover our shame and to rebuild us, to repair us, to renew us. And so often we 
don't give that a lot of thought. We don't give that a lot of regard. And so my call to you this morning is that in 2023, you would say, how do I recognize God's grace to a greater degree? How do I anticipate that, yes, his mercies are new and it's not just for everyone else, but for me as well, that I would step into the receiving of that grace with new vigor and new anticipation. And then I think subsequently that that would motivate us. This would be kind of resolution number two to want to show that to somebody else, to, to prepare my mind and my disposition ahead of time. where we're half a day in, not even half a day into the new year. And, and it's most likely at some point over the next 360 someone, is it 64 or 65? I always forget. It's been a long time since I've been in school. 364 and a half days is a long time for someone to tick us off. It's going to happen. Someone's not going to meet our standard of what we expect, what we demand from others, what we um, think they should be better at by now. All of these things, people will fall short of our expectations. Sometimes in kind of silly, just kind of inconvenient ways, but sometimes in extremely painful and offensive, excuse me, offensive ways. And and if I don't prepare my heart, if I don't allow the Lord to arrest my spirit, to walk into those moments prepared to show the same grace, to show the same mercy, the distinction there, as you know, is that mercy doesn't come in with the full weight of punishment that it could. Instead, it withholds that punishment. But grace says, not only have I withheld the punishment, I'm giving you a better launch point. I am giving you something in the tank, something to live off of, a credit to your account to apply. Am I coming into this year thinking, I need to be better at anticipating the need to show others mercy and grace. All of this comes from what I would say is probably a third resolution we could adopt, which is how do I surrender more of my heart to the Lord? This is really the key to it all. Rather than having the list of the things which are still okay and appropriate and healthy as long as they're God-honoring, the list of things that impact me sort of selfishly or individualistically, rather I come into it saying, Lord, how do you get more of me this year? I had a lot of living for me last year. I had a lot of hanging on to my own agenda and hanging on to my own um, ideas. And, and so the question we have to ask ourselves is how well did that work out, right? So Lord, this year, I, I want to I try something that just means I want to give you all of me. And I don't know where you'll lead me. I don't know what you have in store for me. And I kind of want to let go of the trying to manipulate and control those outcomes and just see where you would... Lead me. I believe that a focus on the Lord's grace and our ability and opportunity to show it to others, all the while submitting our lives just to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes, Jesus is our Savior and He's our friend, and it's it's a miracle that we even get to call Him that, who is the Creator of all things. But He is also King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. That He has come to establish an authority and a direction and a guidance in our lives that we submit to and we break down to and we say, okay, Lord, I can't figure me out. I don't know how to do this life apart from your direction and your authority. And so we submit to him. I believe that if someone were to subscribe to that 
those efforts this year that life would be different and that we would see the Lord move in our lives in tremendous ways. This morning, I'd like to spend uh, a little bit of time as a part one of two in our messages to talk about this this thing, and I'm going to talk about how it's not a thing, it's it's not a what, it's a who, but this thing that we call the church, because we live in the age of the church. As far as the Lord is concerned, no matter what errors or ages we've lived through as a people, an age of enlightenment or the renaissance or any of these other things that we can point back and go, oh, that was an era, that was an age. All of those things pale in comparison to the fact that the Lord established an age of the church. That after he had lived this life perfectly for 33 years and he, he developed those that would follow him, these disciples of his. And then he laid his life down, his perfect life down, sacrificially for our sins as we just celebrated around the Lord's table together. That he then said, now I'm going away and if I go away, it's better for you because if I remove myself, I can send the comforter, the Holy Spirit to come and be present within each and every one of you to guide and direct you in all things in life. And so as Jesus laid his life down willingly for us and he rose again victoriously and he conquered death, those that witnessed that, those that encountered him, and he appointed those to be the apostles, to be the shapers of the church, to be the ones who were given the authority to lead the church in its its inception and in its future as it develops. And ever since then, some 2,000 years ago now, the church is continually being molded and shaped to, to live by those ideals and those instructions. And we're going to have an opportunity to study the formation of this. After we conclude with the book of Ephesians, we'll be moving into um, the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, to see how the Lord showed up, how he moved, how the Comforter came in dramatic fashion. Scripture says that he arrived as a, as a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit blowing through and, and making his arrival known in such dramatic fashion so that he would be there to empower the moving of the church. And if you think about it, for, for the church, the people of Jesus Christ to have stood for all of these generations, it would have to be empowered by someone greater than human wisdom or ingenuity or even their best thinking. The church has gone through so many iterations throughout history. It continues to change its style. It changes who it associates with. It um, uh, emphasizes different things. We sometimes course correct or overcorrect depending on what's going on in our culture. And so we can look back over church history and say, oh, they were, they were addressing a need or a moment, something they were living through, but all the while struggling for relevance within a culture that for the most part said, we don't really want to surrender to a God. We don't want to give ourselves over to one who has authority and, uh, and, and rule over our lives. We'd rather answer for ourselves. And so the church was always struggling for how does it make its impact in the culture around it. But what I want to say is that I believe that the church in this moment is again going through a historic shift, but we're in the midst of it, not knowing how it's going to play out, not knowing how the history books will look back on how we weathered the storm, handled ourselves or adjusted or developed based on what the Lord was trying to show us. And so we don't want to be arrogant to know exactly how it's going to play out. 
But it's still important for us to ask ourselves to look in the mirror and say, who are we? Not just as an organization, not just as a a local organization called Faith Church here in Waterville, but we as a people who make up the church, how are we responding to all that we see going around us? The church remains God's plan for our growth and change. For you and me as individuals, the church remains still the environment in which we are going to have our growth and our movement and our service in Him. But also, the church remains God's plan for the impact of His good news, what we call the gospel for the entire world. He's not done with that plan. As cynical as we might get, or as doubtful as it might appear, it's not the case. He's still moving through his church. And it's important for all of us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, to embrace the challenge that we're in at the moment as ambassadors of a sacred and living body, the body of Christ here on earth. This is who we are as the church. I've got a couple of quotes that I'm going to share with you this morning, and uh, and I find them to be helpful in particular. Um, Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman, in a book I had seen earlier this year, Rediscover Church, um, did a great job helping us understand what is the church supposed to be. And when you're in the midst of a shakeup, when you're in the midst of turmoil, we have to get back to the basics and say, what are we supposed to be? How are we supposed to function? How are we supposed to respond to all that's going on? And so... Hansen and Lehman, I think, answer this for us well. I think Hansen and Lehman sounds like a law firm. We should probably... Anyway, making sure you're still with me. It's New Year's Day and all. Let me read this paragraph, how they describe the church for us. A church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom. Now, we know what an embassy is meant to provide. A nation establishes a, an embassy in a, in a foreign land to, um, to represent its, its culture, represent its initiatives, its, um, um, it, it, its agendas, everything that's important to the nation that it has established. And this is what the church is for the kingdom of Christ, which is in heaven, now being represented on earth, is that we are an earthly embassy. To do what? To proclaim the good news and the commands of Christ the King. To affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances. And the ordinances, namely, are baptism of believers who, after they've received Christ, follow in obedience into the waters to show as an outward depiction that Christ has transformed their hearts. They're buried in his death and they're raised in his resurrection. And so we practice baptism as a local church. And also what we just did this morning around the Lord's Supper, around the communion table. And so the we affirm one another as, as members of the family of God, as fellow believers, as we particip- participate in these things. You and I coming around the communion table this morning wasn't just so that we can chalk off a religious activity, right? To say, okay, I must be doing the right things so that when I die, I stand before the Lord and he says, okay, you did enough religious duty, so therefore I accept you. No, we do these things to fellowship, to commune with the Lord and one another. We also say at the, at the end oftentimes that we do these things to proclaim that we believe that the Lord Jesus will return. 
So in unison together, hundreds of us this morning saying, we believe that his return is imminent. We believe that he will appear. This isn't just a a fairy tale for us or some flight of fancy. No, he will do it. So the church is here to affirm one another through those ordinances and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world, following the teaching and example of elders. The current church era that we are in is one that needs to be evaluated and see how we're standing in it because... I don't know if you've noticed, but the Lord established these very clear blueprints. He's the engineer and he says, you have to build to these specs. And then he takes those blueprints and he gives it to folks like me and like you. And we go, um, uh, I think I know where he wants me to put that two by four. And I think he said, this is the kind of the design of the the roof and everything. We take his perfect blueprints and then we put our own attempts at building it which require him to constantly come in and say, all right, we got to remodel this thing a little bit. This wasn't built to my code. It's amazing. It should be fascinating to us that the king of the universe, with all of his perfection and his power and his wisdom, put this whole thing in our hands. Like he, 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 he says to me and he says, okay, so go and, and, and lead a church and do this kind of thing with these instructions. I'm like, okay, I, I, I can probably get some of that. I can work out most of that or I can make an attempt, but I'm certainly going to blow it from time to time. You and I are going to fumble with the hammer and drop the tools and we're going to, we're going to build it square and that's sort of things going to happen. And so the Lord in every era is showing up to say, we're going to remodel this thing. I gave it a solid foundation. I gave you every, uh, no excuse to build something that comes up crooked or doesn't hold up, but that is the nature of leaving that perfect design in the hands of imperfect people. This current church era that we live in is plagued with a concern with individual receptivity or other people's evaluations rather than the mission that has been given to us of the Lord. We strive for a popularity and an acceptance. We want Jesus to be packageable so that others can warm up to him because it's relatable to them and all this kind of stuff. And we're all guilty of this to some degree, and some peddle it as a real model and method for actually building a church. That it's all about what you and I would experience coming in. It's all about what you and I would find comfortable or inviting, and that gets to be a very dangerous place. And, And fortunately, I'm seeing a lot of churches waking up to that reality, that that is no way to build a church for longevity, and it's probably far off the blueprints of the grand engineer. Our churches are facing a a cultural disregard. Kind of a meh. I'm glad you exist. Cute that you meet together. That's sweet. It's adorable. Hope you have clothes closets and food pantries. Stay in your lane. That kind of that's that's how culture sees the impact of the church because that's kind of what we've earned by chasing consumers and people's approval and stuff as we've lost the impact or the strength of all that God has designed the church to be. And of course, we end up feeding these tendencies of people's personal isolation rather than building communities where people depend on one another. And show up for one another's lives. Hear of the needs of others and say, okay, no one else is going to do it if I don't. 
we're being exposed and vulnerable to share your life with somebody else because of our internet age and all these sorts of things. We can keep people at safe distances, not let them know all the things that we're going through and struggling with. So instead, we're increasing these tendencies of a personal life rather than one that is shared in a community of fellow believers. Again, like I said, this is part one to a more specific approach to a challenge, to approach uh, attacking these challenges. But I'm sharing this this morning so that we can start the new year off having a, a bigger discussion as a church. I want to reveal to you the burden that the leadership of faith has been carrying about how we can move against these trends, how we can remain focused on becoming all that the Lord has for us as a church. How can we continue to bring glory to the Lord and how can we be a blessing to our people and how can our people be a blessing to our city? And, and, and in the a little bit today and more so next week, I'll be sharing with you more specifically the vision that we've been outlining to our members and, and starting that conversation and see where the Lord would have us. But I got to be honest with you. When I start talking about things like vision or we start talking about what makes us a church successful, what makes us all uh, a part of something that we can look back and say, wasn't that fun to be a part of? or wasn't that great. I get a little wonky about those things because first and foremost, success cannot be defined by our own frail, fragile, distracted human hearts. So what I might think would be cool for our church, what I might think might be great for our church, or what you might even think is great or cool or exciting or something like that may not be at all what the Lord has in mind for us. We have to be careful not to define success based on our limited human perspective. So often we get it wrong, and so often that tempts us to take our eye off of what the Lord would really have us do. Again, I quote another author who's been a real help to me over these last several years, a man named Jared Wilson who wrote The the Gospel-Driven Church. This is his caution to us. He says, The church is not called to be successful by attaining certain numbers or meeting a present standard of growth, but we're called to be faithful. Now, I know what that sounds like. Uh, I, I remember, I do not recommend the old Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar. But I remember because he was, he could not tell a lie, right? So his kid would say things and he would blurt out what he was really thinking. And it was mostly offensive and terrible that any human being would think those things. And I remember him saying something about beauty and his little kid says, uh, my teacher says that beauty is only on the outside. And he says, that's just something ugly people say. They're terribly offensive, I know. But this is my point, is we see a statement like this and we see a church saying, it's not really about numbers. It's an excuse of saying that we're justifying how small we are. We're we're justifying the fact that nobody wants to come and stay and all that sort of stuff. It can be very self-serving for us to talk in the terms of like what a church shouldn't be or couldn't be successfully or in terms of external things. But the reality is, it doesn't matter how we interpret it. It doesn't matter why we say or do what we We do as much as it does. Are we faithful to what the Lord is calling us to? It says, so he continues, he says, and that faithfulness will lead to fruitful growth. There may be seasons, hopefully many, when your fruit leads to numeric growth, but the fruit of faithfulness, according to the Bible, is this. And this is the launching of where I'd like to take us over the next couple of times together. According to the Bible, it's deeper discipleship, 
maturing in Christ and more loving reach that goes outward in service to our neighbors. There may be times when this fruit and numeric success go hand in hand, but that is no ready guarantee for faithfulness. So first and foremost, when we talk about a quote-unquote vision for an organization like our church here in Waterville, we have to be careful not to define success based on what seems to make sense or looks good to us. We need to be seeking the Lord. And also, I'm hesitant to talk like this because oftentimes, for someone in my position to share these things, it can be a little bit self-serving. I've been watching a few documentaries lately, which I should not be doing, on the fall of certain churches and religious organizations. Because every time I see the person in charge and over that, it's all about build this empire for me and make the kingdom bigger and everything. And it's the kiss of death for all the work that the Lord wants to do. The reality is, is talking about who we can be and where we should go as a church isn't just about a corporate impact so that a people or a city can look at an organization and go, they did a good job. They might not even notice. They might not even recognize the fact that we're being faithful to the Lord because, again, they aren't necessarily the standard that we're going for in terms of approval. They don't recognize, whoever they are, what puts a smile on the Lord's face. But the more we dig our noses into the scriptures, it will become more evident to us. So this isn't only about corporate impact. And I also wonder sometimes as people in the the church itself, well, what are we saying? What's in it for me? Because that's part of our culture today. And even though I wouldn't necessarily encourage that line of questioning or thinking, I think the Lord has an answer for that. What's in it for us as individuals is all that we're able to um, uh, serve and be a part of that takes us out of the daily frustrations and the grinds of the things that we suffer from to help us find greater purpose in seeing kingdom eternal impact happen as a result of our availability and willingness to be used of the Lord. And any time we have an opportunity to witness the glory of God on the move, it becomes something that we feel an absolute privilege to be witnessing. Now this week, in, in kind of preparing this, uh, this series, if you will, um, I was reminded afresh of, of, of a chapter of Scripture that I would love for us to adopt, I would encourage you to consider for this year. I was reminded of Romans chapter 12. And I won't exposit it. I won't break down phrases or look closer at certain words in here. In fact, I went and got a version to read with you today that I think is just a little bit more rolls off the tongue in plainer English just for our purposes this morning. To, to, To ask the question, if this were the focus of my life, if I was starting 2023 with this kind of description saying, I want this said about me. I want this to be the thing that my church is known for or my my contribution or the impact of the church I belong to, to be described this way. How amazing would that be? Now, I got to be honest with you as I'm reading this, I'm praising the Lord that I'm seeing these things develop already in our midst. And I see the hand of the Lord moving in our people in so many of these ways and stuff. And so there's a part of this where we get to read this and rejoice in retrospect. And there's a part of this that still challenges us to keep pressing on. So let's read Romans 12 together and see what Paul has for us to consider. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I gave each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Like I said, plain English, right? Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I think seeing that in its entirety brings a certain level of power and and challenge all at the same time of how do we as God's people attain to those kinds of Standards, yet at the same time, we see that the instruction is so straightforward. It's not complicated, it's just hard to do. And the reason why that's hard to do is because there's this aspect of surrender that gets in our way. Hence, our third uh, New Year's resolution make yourself more available to the Lord, yield more of yourself over to Him. Why? Because His calling is not easy to execute. It's difficult to be these people. 
And yet we see signs of it all around us. We see so many testimonies that I could highlight. I could put names on almost every sentence in this passage of how the Lord is moving and how he is leading those that can be faithful to this. So we know it can be done. We just pray that it can be done to a greater extent in our lives. Faith for the last year or so has been uh, working out this uh, vision towards bringing our church to a greater unity. Things were scattered and separated for us. Things were divided. The, the church, the kingdom of the church in the area and everything was becoming more divided. Everything was, was pushing us away from one another. And so we prayed and asked the Lord, what would you have for us next? And he seemed to clearly lead us into the season of developing the unity that only he can build and he can prepare a church to experience. And so we started pressing into this opportunity to learn together, to, to sharpen our minds, our knowledge and our application of the gospel, to know what it truly means to hear the word of God, but yet surrender to it, to hold each other accountable in it and to actually do it. And there's various ways and, and new methods, if you will, that we introduced last year, which we'll revisit over the next couple of weeks. But, but the, the goal was for us to grow in our gospel knowledge, in our gospel application. We also set out to grow more in our, in our fellowship or living together, to grow in relationship with other believers. There's a part that when everyone's telling you stay away from each other and all this sort of stuff, you get out of practice. And we live in Maine and it's harder to know your neighbors. We're in a more rural context in so many different um, areas and things. And so how do we start to depend and actually connect with other human beings. Sometimes it's just that basic. And that's what we witnessed and that's what we were called to increase as well. And so there were things that we added to our programming here at Faith to encourage that, to help us grow in relationship with other believers in connection and support. All of those things were helping us build internally and strengthen ourselves in our faith and our walk. So that we can now lead together and lead in this context really means moving out, going against culture and going not in making culture the enemy per se, but to to show them the distinction between the gospel that we adhere to and the gospel that we apply to our own lives and the emptiness of so many of the philosophies and the practices that have led them astray. How do we grow our gospel impact? And we believe it's time to start talking specifically even about the city of Waterville in which we live. I know many of you are not residents of Waterville, and that isn't a prerequisite to to have a greater focus and a greater impact in this city. But your church is here. And in so many ways, we've done an incredible job of reaching the greater Waterville area that now it's time for us to focus on who are the people within the city limits that we call home. How do we grow that gospel impact, not only in our backyard, but even beyond and seeing our our opportunity to add a couple of missionaries this year and to try to strengthen our relationship and our communication with them to do things differently. Of course, the experience that we've had in getting to know so many of the Colby students this last two years and how incredible that's been to, to have a greater presence in that campus that we've been praying about for years and years. The Lord's been so good to us, but he's leading us into more. And it is that time. I want you to take a look at uh, your sermon notes. If you've got a handout coming in, 
I was ill-prepared. I did not carry one up here with me. Does anybody have a spare copy you can look on with somebody else? Tom's got it memorized. Thanks, Pastor Tom. What's, um, what's the third bullet point that I have down, Tom? Do you know? No? Okay, just trying it. If you have your notes in front of you now, each week we put these out on the opposite side of your... Uh, your announcements, the printed announcements and things. And typically, they are a, a, a striving towards helping you remember the structure of the time that we were studying the Word of God together, but also helping you understand how could you apply the message and the Word of God for your life going forward. So this week's not really one of those outlines. I don't have uh, one of those types of sermon structures for you, so I left you with a couple of points at the beginning to learn to strive to... Uh, Learn, uh, let's strive to understand the purpose of God's church in 2023 and then to desire God's fruit for his church above our own expectations. And we'll break that down a little bit next week. And then you see here our vision towards unity, to learn, to live, to lead together. So what are we supposed to do with these things? And, And always... Uh, we break our application down to a few different areas. That we are to analyze the condition of our hearts, to allow the Lord to search our hearts, say, with what I've heard from God's word today, how receptive am I to that? How much do I allow the Lord to really plow up that ground? And what is he showing me? So I usually leave several questions for us to ponder there. That analyzation then turns into an adjustment. How are we going to practice this differently? And I'm calling you to consider preparing for next week's challenge as we step into more specifics about learning, living, and leading together by doing several things. The first is because it's time sensitive, we'd like to point out to you an opportunity that Pastor Tom will be giving us a greater um, explanation of next week, which is called the Discipleship Growth Track. And we really believe that this is an opportunity eventually for anybody in the church and everybody in the church to have gone through and in a sense graduate from because again, it satisfies that component or helps or aids that component of how do we learn God's word to a deeper um, degree? How do we understand the story of redemption and all that God is doing in the gospel uh, narrative that unfolds for all of our lives? And so there's detail about that. There's structure to how this will play out, the night that it'll meet on, all those sorts of things. But for this week, if you're already looking at this with interest, you might want to consider ordering the the first book ahead of time called God's Big Picture. And I have that bolded for you halfway down the page. And then again, like I said, we'll explain it in greater detail next week. The challenge to grow in your fellowship in your interdependence of other people is in that live together section with several challenges and opportunities that we as a church already offer and we continue to think of other things as well but it really comes as a result of your initiative and desire to see that connection as being integral to your faith And then lastly, to lead together, to take part in things like we already heard about today with Night to Shine, which is having an incredible impact on our community, not just the city of Waterville, but all of those who meet the needs and serve the needs of the special needs community. So we're aiming at giving them respite and giving them encouragement and showing their uh, loved ones the same love that they've been uh, showing all of these years. So we encourage them, but we also, as Chase said earlier, we want to show honor and to distinction to the guests that are coming for that prom night to understand this is how the Lord sees them as special and beautiful in their eyes. 
And it remains consistent with us while we say to the world around us that we are a pro-life uh, movement, that we care for the lives of the unborn, that we see value in every life uh, available that the Lord has given to us, that we show it and we see it through by opportunities like this. I'm telling you, I know we've talked it up and, and uh, we've talked about it in detail, but there isn't going to be a more memorable, moving ministry experience you're going to have than be participating in Night to Shine. Uh, it, it is, it is, it requires a lot of preparation and effort. We are, we are somewhat hindered in the preparation this year because our, our faithful sweetheart of a girl, uh, Sandy Bacon, who gives her all to this, is continuing to have health complications and, and is, and is, and is praying for this and preparing for this from a hospital room as we speak. And her family has always rallies around that need and puts this together. If you want something done right, go see a bacon. That's what I get to say about it. And they're incredible and they just knock it out of the park. And so we need to come around them, not just from the standpoint of being a part of amazing ministry opportunity, but to show our sister this kind of love. Yeah, I'm laying it on thick, aren't I, right now? But I mean it. I am so serious about this, that we can show her that kind of love and support. Hey, we got this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be amazing. So let's prepare for that. Don't forget on your way out. Sometimes we just go, oh, I keep meaning to sign up. Make it your priority today. Be a part of this thing. It's going to be incredible. And then, as I said before, we'll be talking about introducing you to some of our new missionaries over the coming weeks and and talking about the better ways and more uh, personal contact we can have towards supporting them. So those are those three areas that learn, live, and lead together. And then we wrap up our section of notes by how are we going to respond to the Lord in this? What adoration, what worship do we show him for all that he's done? And I'm encouraging you this week, thank the Lord that he still uses the imperfect witness of his church to change and transform the hearts of people. And it's an encouragement. It's like what Paul says, give our lives as a living sacrifice to live out our fellowship and service as one who honors the privilege that it truly is to be the bride of Christ. We're only getting started. And I know this isn't typical, a kind of rah-rah, do these five steps to a better you, a better life kind of thing in 2023. But I honestly believe that your um, uh, attention and your availability to see what does the Lord have for me, in particular through the life of my church, the body that I belong to, is where your greatest fulfillment and the greatest exercise of your gifts is going to come. This will be a different year because of that kind of focus. So let's pray together. If you would, let's stand and let's just ask the Lord to lead us into this season, anticipating all that he can do and challenging us to yield ourselves more over to him as we do that. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, I want to thank you, Father, for all that you do. I thank you, Lord, for the incredible privilege it is to be a part of a faith community, to have what so many people don't have, which is direction and a friend to lean on and support and encouragement and concern. I thank you, Lord, that it's an opportunity and a place for us to to grow and to um, give back to you with what you've given to us. So lead us into new territory this year, Lord. Challenge us, even in the uncomfortable ways. Challenge us and help us, Lord. Give us the faith and the, the strength to respond to that challenge. Help us to be unique in the fact that we don't make this church experience about what we get out of it. We do. We get so much out of it. But, Lord, it isn't our motivation. May we give to you, Lord, all that you deserve. Help us, Lord, to love your people well, our brothers and sisters. 
And help us, Lord, to make an impact, an incredible impact on our community. Help us to see lives transformed and people surrendered to the forgiveness that you offer. And Lord, may we just have the privilege of being in the front row to be able to watch you do what you do best. So thank you, Lord, for calling us. And thank you, Lord, for healing us. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness that we need every single day. And though we can't erase all the memories and the activities and the things of 2022, Lord, we know that you're not done with us. You've called us to bigger and better and you will prepare us for bigger and better only by your grace. So Lord, we thank you for it. Let's lift our voices up before you, Lord. Hear our praise and be pleased with your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.